Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. This is a special replay of an interview that I did with Deborah James back in January 2018. It was just over a year after she'd been diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer and we sat in her living room drinking tea and talking all about her experience over the previous 12 months. Now, four and a half years later, Deborah, who is mum to two children, has raised an incredible amount of awareness of bowel cancer through writing for The Sun, publishing a book, appearing on national TV, all the while sharing her highs and lows with us all. A week ago, Deborah announced that following a particularly tough six months where she's mostly been in hospital, she is now receiving hospice at home care. She set up the Bowel Babe Fund, which incredibly raised over £6 million in under a week. All of this was recognised when she was awarded a damehood by Prince William. You can donate to the Bowel Babe Fund and I really urge that you do if you can. The link is in the episode notes. We don't know how much time is left for Deborah, but in her words, the fund will help other Deborahs who have cancer. So here is my chat with Deb from four years ago. Welcome, Deborah, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I feel like we should explain to the listener that this is the third attempt at recording this. I was going to say third time lucky, I think. Yes. Well, we're hoping this will be third time lucky. Yeah, so the first time I um, came around to your house and I got a call from my daughter's school to say, she's not well, come and pick her up. And then the second time, which was last week, it all went swimmingly well and we had a lovely time chatting and recording the podcast um, except when I went to edit it, I discovered that the sound quality was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so we're back here again. So we're back here again. Um, and I think that it's really good to have a warm up like that. I mean, <laughs> that just means that this chat is going to be great. <laughs> really straightforward. It'll Didn't be you fine. agree? I've already, I've already thought about some of the end questions. I already know. Oh, yes. Damn it. You know what my quick fire questions are going to be. I know questions are going to be. Oh, why didn't I think about that and, uh, <laughs> and change them? Oh, call myself a professional. <laughs> Um, so you are a mum to a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. Um, and you're a former deputy head teacher. And is it just over a year ago? Have I got yeah, that right? Yeah, just over a year ago. Um, you discovered that you've got stage 4 bowel cancer. Yeah. Um, 
And you describe yourself as living with cancer rather than being a cancer victim or a sufferer. Tell me a little bit about why you have that attitude towards what you're going through. So I I think the word cancer conjures up so many negative connotations, um, regardless of what stage that cancer might be. And I think... um, somebody only has to say to you um, you have cancer and you suddenly think I'm going to die um, I'm going to die tomorrow um, you know my kids are going to be sad without me and it has all these kind of pictures that come up um, and actually what you realise is yes I have stage 4 cancer which means that I have cancer that is throughout my body um, and it's it's metastasized, which essentially means that it's gone to some of my organs so that's what stage four means just for anyone listening who isn't yeah. clear stage four means that it has spread yeah so in most cancers um it's, it's always the same so stage four means that it's spread from the initial site so my initial tumor was in my bowel um and um up to stage three so you've got one two and three and depending on the kind of cancer is you know breast cancer brain tumour, God forbid, whatever it might be, um, how far that cancer has grown and spread throughout your lymphatic system will depend on the stage that the cancer is. Now, there is no stage five, <laughs> put it this way. Um, one of the the outcomes for stage four are worse. The reason is because cancer has become part of your system right. and it means it's travelled through your body from one site to another site so in my case it travelled through my bowel um, and went to my lungs which sounds a bit of a weird connection but that's quite a common right. um, path for, for bowel cancer um, and essentially it means it's gone um, into my organs so um, it now becomes a bit of a challenge in terms of how you maintain it um, or control it but Um, you very much see it as being that you're living with cancer and that you refuse to be seen as a victim is that is that yeah I I think that's really fair I think um you can have good days with cancer and I think I try to demonstrate that very much um and it I'm not going to lie to you cancer is horrible um you know it it makes your whole world flip um, 180. Mm. Um, but at the same time, um, I have done things that I never thought possible. Um, and I think it's really important to, and I've met loads of amazing people, um, you know, whether it's through Instagram or through um, charity communities, um, who are living um, with a diagnosis that says they are unfortunately dying. Mm. Now, I don't talk about dying. I don't know what's around the corner. But to be honest, none of us do. Mm. Um, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm hopeful that there will be um, a magic drug around the corner and so with my oncologist we talk about the next step you know what happens next what happens next we don't talk about what might happen in the future so is that a very conscious thing for you are you very much focused on the next step rather than looking too far into the future yeah I think what happened with me is when I was first diagnosed um I um unfortunately I went very quickly to stage four I found out very quickly that it spread and you look up statistics Mm. and the statistics for bowel cancer are hideous for most cancers at stage four they're hideous um so less than one in ten people will survive for five years with what I have so if I were to focus on those statistics everything will tell you that I am going to die essentially and then within those statistics I unfortunately have a mutation that's really aggressive and I spent weeks months in a very really really dark place looking up um, all these studies and everyone fell off the bottom of the study (laughs) so Mm. essentially I couldn't find any good studies that told me I was going to live so at some point I had to just draw a line under it because it 
where's it going to get me? It's you can not... drive yourself mad with that kind of thing, can't you? <laughs> can I go mad? And you have to therefore focus on the fact that, for me, I'm under a great team at the Marsden, um, and you kind of have to focus on what happens next, what we're going to do next, because I think... You know, I could be one of those lucky ones. Um, I have. Um, you could be that study. I could be that study. That people exactly. in the future are going, oh, well, look at Deborah. Look at that. And there are, I think, you know, a lot of research is based on stuff um, in the past. Um, it takes years to come to fruition. And, um, you know, techniques and things and the way that I'm being treated now, um, you know, we don't know what the results or the outcomes for those things are. Sure. Um, so you have to remain positive. I think if you don't have hope, then you may as well give up. <laughs> yeah. What do you have? What do you have, exactly. So let's go right back to the beginning. And yeah. you, is it, is, it, is it true that you um, thought you had irritable bowel syndrome to yeah, begin with? for years. I think all of us do sometimes a little bit. You know when you've got a bit of a dodgy stomach? And also I think, you know, we, we all live in such a stressful day-to-day life that quite often yeah. you get a bit of IBS and that's a very normal thing, isn't it? And you just it? think it's IBS. And I was a busy working mum of two. Um, and I think, you know what life is like when you just run around and you justify everything that's going on in your body to just being a busy mum of two yeah um so I was really tired oh well I've got two kids we're all tired we're all tired right <laughs> all the time um I started losing a bit of weight um but actually for me that I just justified that that I had started working out a bit more so you, so you had started working out and lost weight yeah so that's a fair assumption so that's to a make. fair assumption I was thinking well that's pretty good um and the the key thing for me was um my bowel habits changed and I started passing blood um but when you look up um at my age passing blood um you are often given a diagnosis of hemorrhoids which right. we've all probably had hemorrhoids or mm. you know from from those birthdays pregnancy, pregnancy yeah hemorrhoids. um and you're you're that's what you're often given is that diagnosis worst case scenario um i went to a doctor's and they they thought it could be something called crohn's crohn's or colitis yeah. um and it was only then that i suddenly thought oh maybe it's getting a bit serious but the key thing is that all my blood tests came back normal um, and it was only when I then started really worrying and some of my friends, I actually started taking pictures of my poo. <laughs> um, and the reason I did that is because if I, I think everybody's uh, view of passing blood is different. Yeah. So for example, one person without, I know I'm getting really graphic here. But I, I think, think getting graphic is important. good. And I think, I think that, I think talking about this openly is, is only a good yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. So some one person for example might have a, a drop of blood when they a fresh blood when they wipe their mm-hmm. bottom mm-hmm. now i'm not a medic and i'm not going to give out advice no. but on the whole that would be deemed as probably a tear or a cut or a bit of a hemorrhoid yeah the key thing for me was that my blood was mixed in with my stools okay but it still looked really fresh and so there was a bit of confusion because i was thinking oh well, maybe it's a really bad hemorrhoid yeah and the key thing was somebody should have probably asked me how much blood I was losing. Right. Um, and it was only when I started taking pictures and photographs and showing them did, um, you know, was my fears conf- confirmed that actually I was losing quite a lot of blood. So did you show those photographs to your doctor? Yeah, who then I did. And I was like, oh, hang uh, on a minute. Yeah, because I think it's all good and well, isn't it, when you walk up to the GP and you say, I'm losing a bit of, you know, I'm passing a bit of blood. Yeah. And... You really well it's kind of how much what does it actually look like yeah. and it's really hard to describe isn't it yeah of course um so it was that actually that, that got me a referral in the end um and then I saw a consultant um who 
immediately um, did a colonoscopy. Um, a colonoscopy is basically where you put a camera up your bottom. Right. <laughs> As you do. Um, and um, everything fell silent. Um, I had a six and a half centimetre tumour up my bum. Wow. Um, and they knew there and then that it was cancerous. They knew there and then? In his professional opinion. Like, it, nothing was confirmed until I had biopsies. What was um, that like, being told that? It was awful. I mean, I have nightmares about it. Um, Still? Yeah, I uh. do, actually. Because nobody will ever forget the day um, that they're told they might have cancer. Um, and it's it's really scary you know exactly the way you felt um you know how everyone responded to you Mm. I'll never forget people's faces Mm. looking at me um and I remember because one of the assistants in the room um kind of knew what had been found Mm. and they were trying to distract me from the kind of you know when everything gets very serious yeah and silent Mm. um and I um I was a hyper I am a hypochondriac um, massively when it comes to medical things so I'd already researched what a normal bowel would look like um, so I knew that actually um, my bowel didn't look right and I knew it was bleeding and I knew that they were getting quite serious in the room because they started taking loads of biopsies and I just knew something was wrong yeah. and when the consultant came round to um, tell me the news he said I know that you already know that we found something Yeah. and um, he didn't you know he just he he, he didn't you know screw around with it he just went straight to the chase he said we found a tumor he said in my professional opinion i think it's cancerous um we've taken some biopsies we need to get you immediately into a into surgery um and we need to scan you and then my life just kind of fell off a cliff oh my god i can't even imagine i mean how what what did what words did you say back to the consultant as he was saying this to you i screamed to him i said i don't want to die that's all i said i just said i don't want to die and he said, look, you may just need a cut out um, and then that's it. You can go on your merry way. Um, and um, But he said, we need to find out what's going on. Um, he, he, he didn't give me false hope. Um, but I didn't even... Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it was it was hell. We went, me and my husband, yeah, my husband was with me at the time. We then got in the car, drove, went and got the most expensive bottle of wine that we could find. Um, and you go into like... Um, this surreal world where you're not really living it you're kind of in a you're in a weird existence <laughs> well I guess it, it must have felt almost like a bad dream yeah it felt like a it, it was you kind of go to sleep and you wake up thinking oh come on it will just go away it's not that bad um and then the motions start you know you start going through the motions and you start having to go to tests and you start realizing that this is your life so did you tell your kids straight away? No, we didn't. Um, we kind of, that was really difficult actually because we came back in um, and just pretended everything was fine because we didn't know what we were dealing with. That's such a typical parent thing to do, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I mean, understandably, but just swallowing your worst fears. Yeah, you just swallow it. And putting on a brave face for your kids. Yeah, and you know, they're like, how are you? How are... They knew I'd had an appointment. How's mm. your bum? Oh, it's fine. Don't worry. Da, da, da. Mm. Um, and then one positive is that my son actually had had a little um, colonoscopy operation when he was younger and they removed a little thing from him. So we were able, when we had established that I needed to have an operation, we were able to tell them um, that actually mummy was going to have the same operation. Right. 
um, as as my son. Yeah. And um, he was like, oh, well, that's easy. And so he starts going, oh, mummy, it's like such an easy operation. I've done it. I've done this. Mm-hmm. You'll be fine. Um, and I think for us, we were lucky in that way. And it was only after the operation that we knew 100%, although we were always told it could be cancer, it could be cancer. It was only after the operation that we knew 100% that it was. And then I will never forget having to tell them that day. What was that like? That was awful. So we went to um, went out to a restaurant, actually, um, and I kind of said, look, so you know mummy had the tumour cut out of her. Unfortunately, um, it's got cancer inside of it. Um, but the doctor's going to do everything to get rid of the cancer and make sure that it's not in the rest of mummy's body. But I just broke down. I mean, you can't... You can't um, I couldn't hold myself together, mm. to be honest. I don't know how, how people can. Um, and that's and then I've just been very open about it. So everything I write, um, my blogs and my columns, um, everything on Instagram, I let the children see if they want to. Mm-hmm. I don't shove it in their face, um, but I don't stop them from reading anything that I write. That's amazing. So back when you first told them, did they understand, do you think? Like, you know... Had, had they heard of cancer? Did they yeah. know? I think my, because well, my, my kids are 10 and 8, mm. or, you know, um, they were a little bit younger then. But um, even in Disney movies, the mum dies of cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. People get cancer, they die. They die. And it's kind of like, um, I was watching something with my daughter the other day and it's all like teeny bopper, like la la la. Oh yeah, well her mummy had cancer and her father's got cancer right now and she's lost her hair. And I'm like, oh my word. Like, so even, you know, yeah. in the most tame kids. Tame, yeah. And they know, you know, they know what the connotations of the word cancer is. Um, and the thing that really grates on me, and I know I'm going slightly off topic, but you're sitting there at eight o'clock on a, um, you know, before Christmas on um, Saturday evening watching The X Factor, um, or my family we do anyway, um, and suddenly in the adverts comes on kind of, um, you know, a big, deep, dark, depressive, grey advert um, talking about how awful cancer is. Mm. And I'm sitting there with my children. Mm having cancer yeah um and that kind of image of cancer really really gets to me i mean on the flip side you can understand why i'm guessing it must have been a charity a cancer charity charity, and i know that it makes us donate yeah that's why that's why they do it it's to pull at the heartstrings and it does it absolutely it absolutely pulls at the heartstrings but and i get that i get if you're on the other side of the fence Mm. you know you see that advert and unfortunately you know that is a real portrayal yeah. of cancer. But when you're sitting there undertaking cancer and going through cancer yourself, you don't want your kids to see that side. Especially when you are trying to be upbeat and positive. Yeah. And, yeah, look on the bright side of yeah, things. Yeah, you want to look on the bright side. And then you've just been diagnosed and all you see mm. is this greyness being portrayed. And I think that goes back to your first question about living with cancer. So for me, I'm not hiding away from that image um, that it is grey and depressing, but I also think that one in two of us are going to get it. Is that true? Yeah. One in two of us will get cancer? As of today, one in two of us will get cancer, is, according to um, cancer research statistics. That is terrifying. It's terrifying. But what we've got to understand from those statistics is that um, more of us will live for 10 years after our diagnosis with cancer, then we'll die from it. Right. So keeping in mind that um, the average age for a cancer diagnosis is much later on, um, and I don't want to kind of be quoted here, but it's it's normally in the 70s, actually our life expectancy wouldn't necessarily be kind of affected by our cancer diagnosis with modern 
kind of monitoring and techniques. Sure. However, there are unfortunately, you know, one in eight women will get breast cancer. Um, one in 16 men will get bowel cancer. One in 18 women will get bowel cancer. So bowel cancer is more common in men? But bowel cancer is more common in men, um, but it's the third most common cancer um, kind of around. Although actually, um, well not funny enough, but I think just last week prostate cancer um, overtook bowel cancer. Funnily enough. Funnily <laughs> enough. Is it all, this, all the poo stuff? Enough. All the poo stuff. Do you think it's, I mean, you're coming across as being that like, this is a real expert in cancer. Is, is that weird to you that you've <laughs> developed all of this knowledge and you're just like churning out stats churning and facts? Stats. I think it's one of those things. So I'm a bit of a research geek. So when I was a deputy head, I was massively into educational research. So I read so much mm. um, and suddenly I had all this time on my hands um, because I couldn't continue with my previous job previous role because it would, wouldn't have been fair on the kids um, and suddenly I transferred all my research knowledge into just researching about you become an expert in your own disease mm. um, to the point that I actually go now to some first year medical students and talk about my case study oh wow and realize that I know more than they probably know because I it's my life mm. I have to live it and my way of dealing with it and having some control in the situation is to research the hell out of it. <laughs> so I want, I'm somebody who wants to know mm. everything. I want to know what the best treatment options are. I want to know kind of, you know, am I getting the right drugs? What has research shown? That doesn't work for everybody. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily advocate it unless you love reading loads of kind yeah. of stuff. And it is quite dangerous because you can go down very dodgy pathways um, but I do kind of like having a secure knowledge. And I also think it's really useful because um, I'm asked loads through social media, you know, what were your symptoms? What are the symptoms? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and actually, I do think that I have a bit of a responsibility to at least educate other people or at least raise awareness um, with a platform that I have to do that. Yeah. Um, so You said... I mean, you, you said to me before, possibly might have been on, on, the, on the last podcast, um, <laughs> that despite you being a bit of a geek and reading up and wanting to know stuff you haven't actually ever asked your um, consultant what your I guess your life life yeah. expectancy is yeah I don't want to know the answer um because I think and I think we've I remember us talking about this in that so if he said to me well on average somebody with your kind of cancer has two years to live um I would then sit and count down the days until the two years mm. so every event in my life will be well that's my last Christmas mm. oh well that's my last birthday and I'm not sure whether I could have the enjoyment in any of it so I have chosen not to ask that question um I I don't want to have that conversation unless I feel it's really necessary for for life admin if we want to say that mm. to have it um and as a result I think by not asking that question a I have more hope um, and B, it means I can just live for the small moments and celebrate the small milestones. I think that's totally fair enough. I don't think any, I mean, I don't think many of us, if we could be told when we are going to die, because let's face <laughs> it, we're all going to die at some point. I don't think many of us would, would, want to know. would want to know. No, I think it's one of the, if somebody said to me before I had cancer, what's your worst case scenario? It's, it's kind of knowing that you're going to die. But there's some people that find great peace in that. Mm. And I hope that if I ever get to that point, I would find peace in it. Uh, but I'm not there yet. 
um, and I don't want to be there and I don't even want to kind of have to consider it yeah um because to be honest it just makes me really sad um but I know that there are many mums maybe listening who who are having to have those conversations I mean I, I know that as a fact because I've spoken to some of them mm. um and that just you know having to go through that just breaks my heart the idea that I might have to tell my children um mummy is going to die mm. I think I can't comprehend that at the moment I think that's fair enough Deborah I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Um... <coughs> So you've you've done twenty one rounds of chemo, haven't you? Yeah, you've I just have, finished. I've just finished. So I had today. Well, tomorrow is actually my. I started chemo a year ago tomorrow. Wow. Which is a little it's Valentine's Day, which is crazy. Mm. So my Valentine's Day last year was spent with some lovely doctors and nurses. Um, not in a in a nice romantic way, um, but essentially being pumped full of drugs. And I only realised that I was writing my column this week, and I only realised that when I was looking back and thinking wow, I've had a quite a hardcore year. Um, so I started that chemo with the plan that I was going to have chemo for six months. Um, I was going to have 12 cycles, and a cycle is essentially, for me, every two weeks. So essentially I have drugs every two weeks. And the plan, in my mind, was six months of chemo, wham, bam, move on with my life, it will all be done. Um, and unfortunately, really quickly, it transpired that um, the plan turned into kind of not a definitive plan it just turns into let's just look let's just go to the next step next step um and what's just happened is I've actually just made it through to 21 cycles which is kind of a year worth of chemo minus the odd lung resection here and there um and I've actually made it through to the end of um, a regime I just found that out on, on on Friday I kind of I was just saying to you earlier that I suddenly realised I was at the point that I was aiming towards. And I suddenly thought, oh, I'm in that moment. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> here. Is, I'm here. Um, and I suddenly, I I dream about, um, you know, you see on, I see on Instagram and social media, these people who hold up banners and they're like, I'm out of chemo. Yeah. I'm cancer free. Cancer free. I dream about that, but I will never have that opportunity. And I think I wouldn't count my lucky stars to do it. So in theory, I finished my current chemo. Um, I'm not even booked in for another bit of chemo. Wow. Oh, what amazing. does that feel like? It's a bit, it's a bit, it, it's really nice. I've just booked a holiday today, <laughs> this morning. Um, I've still got operations coming up. And I know the problem is the reason half of me wants to like literally shout from the roof and jump around yeah. for joy. And I think it's right that we celebrate those small milestones. Definitely. And also having that gap between treatment, so between now and your operation or yeah. your first operation, 
getting away and getting holiday. It's in. just amazing, which I haven't oh. been able to. I've been grabbing these small opportunities, yeah. and you sometimes forget because I've been so hell bent on this kind of the big celebration, mm. but I forget that that might not ever happen. So I suddenly thought, well, hang on a moment. You need to kind of celebrate these small things. Yeah. Um, but I know I'm really realistic, and I didn't want to do the whole, you know. Thank you to all the nurses. Bye. See ya. I'm out of here. Because the reality, and I know this, I feel really grounded by the people that I meet at the Marsden because they're like, well, I had six weeks off of chemo and now I'm back on it. And it's, you know, it's, it's awful. And I hope that I'm not in that situation. But the reality with my type of cancer is that I probably will be back on chemo in six weeks. But you know what? If it's six weeks, I'll enjoy those six weeks. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, you know like we said earlier it's one step at a time so does the chemo make you feel quite unwell yeah i think because i've had so much of it now so for my kind of cancer i've had um full dose um kind of nuclear chemo and there's lots of different types of chemo you can have you can have kind of maintenance chemo which is slightly a lower dose um lots of different drugs that cause loads of different side effects and i haven't lost my hair thank god even though I was told, you know, it's likely to thin. Um, I was one of the lucky ones that haven't. Mm. Um, but to be honest with you, I've now had so much um, kind of, of this full dose chemo um, that I am feeling the side effects beyond, um, you know, I slept for the, Today I've, I've just been asleep all day. Um, and tomorrow hopefully I'll have some energy to do something. Mm. Um, but I am knackered, like beyond knackered. Mm. Uh, so the plan is two operations. Yeah, so I've got a couple of operations coming up um, where they're hoping to get out some lung tumours. Um, and then it's it's a bit of a game of like, um, you know, that splatting game. Like, um, I can't think what it is, where you have to like hit the hit the tumours on the head before they oh, keep on yeah. popping up. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the arcade. Yes. <laughs> Splat the tumours. Um, so I think with me, it's a case of um, hoping to splat them before anything new pops up. I think that's the strategy um and you pray that they don't kind of have a have a uh, kind of party in your body before you can do anything about it yeah um so in the meantime though you are doing a lot of work you've got your column with the sun yeah. you've got a book that yeah. um i know you can't talk about but you are writing a book that I'm writing it. Yeah. you are writing it um and you do a lot of work to you know with cancer charities um how important is that to you that you are because it all started with you, with you writing your blog didn't yeah, it yeah so I kind of I've always been somebody that runs at 100 miles an hour so I was deputy head teacher in a secondary school and my life was my work I was always kind of um probably too much so actually um and I am somebody who will work at three o'clock in the morning through the night to get the job done mm. I've just been that I'm just that person yeah um and one of the hard things for me actually was kind of um, a sense of loss over my job I didn't lose my job but I couldn't continue doing what I was doing and for me I therefore had a massive hole in my life um that I'd never had to deal with before I mean even when I was on maternity leave I was pretty much still kind of whacking some stuff out from home um and I, you know, suddenly had this massive void and I was like, well, what, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and I suddenly started writing mainly um, to kind of let people know how I was because I was part of a teaching community and people are really lovely. You know, it was like, how, how are you doing? And all these things. And so I started writing. Um, and then from that, um, I realised that actually um, 
I've met loads of amazing people and I started them writing for, for The Sun, uh, which I think is an amazing platform um, to kind of just share my story. My story is, unfortunately, um, my story and what I say isn't unique. So I don't feel like I'm saying anything that other cancer patients don't experience. Mm. I think I just am really lucky that I have a platform to do it. Um, but So therefore, I really feel that there's a responsibility to speak on people's behalf. And then I'm somebody who kind of, even despite having cancer, I have to throw myself into stuff. So, so before before I knew it, I was kind of um, writing a book, which I'm doing at the moment, um, and getting myself involved with a variety of different projects. So I work really closely with two charities. So Bow Cancer UK, I think, are incredible. Um, I think um, their team are just absolutely passionate about stopping bowel cancer. Um, and for them, I'm, we've raised kind of nearly £50,000 over the last year. Wow. Um, that's because of all the amazing people who've kind of got behind and done runs. So I go under the name Bow Babe, which which we've talked about anyway. Um, and so there's been loads of people who have fundraised on my behalf, not for me, you know, the money doesn't go to me, but the money goes to Bow Cancer UK. We even did a ball last year. Wow, did you? Yeah, that was really good fun. Might even do another one coming up, you never know. Um, so, yeah, so we've managed to raise about £50,000 um, in the last year, which That's I think amazing. is amazing. It's totally amazing. Um, and how, then, how do you yeah. balance all that off? I mean, you know, you just finished saying that you're knackered and <laughs> yeah. that you're really feeling, the, you know, the effects of the chemo. <laughs> how do you balance looking after yourself and not overdoing it with all of this other stuff yeah not very well and being a mum and being a mum so not very well to be honest with you I have loads of help Mm. um so I'll hold my hands up to the fact that I've got really supportive friends family um I do have I have help here um in the home as well um because I had it all in place when I was working anyway so I've been lucky enough to kind of continue that and I think for me that's probably kept me sane because Mm. it's meant that actually if I am totally flawed and I can't collect the kids from school um, I'm in a really lucky position that I've got somebody that can collect the kids for me. I guess it must create a bit of consistency for them as well. Yeah. So nothing's changed for them. Everything has remained exactly the same, apart from the fact that they think mummy having cancer is quite a good thing because suddenly mummy's around. So suddenly mummy collects them from um, school and they get to take the car rather than the bus. It's brilliant. So do, you, do, you, do you think that, that in a weird way this is... It, brought you closer to your kids yeah a hundred percent so our relationship has changed so I um I was never a mumsy mum not that that's the I don't really know what I mean by that I, I kind of I, I was never good at staying at home I I wasn't interested in it to be to be honest with you um and I found it really really hard mm. um I was somebody who surprisingly got pregnant at a very young age and it's the best thing that happened um but I was kind of more concerned about what it might do to my career I think a lot of people listening will identify with that I think I think that a lot of people don't admit to feeling that that way yeah where you love being a mum but you also love your job and you find it hard to you know give up a large part of the job or how much you're working to be at home absolutely and I I mean there was part of me that was probably quite selfish with it but I mean I felt that I um that's how I functioned in Mm. a way 
I kind of felt that I was more myself being at work yeah. than being at home. Like I said, everyone's different. There's, yeah. And there's no right or wrong no, way to be a mum. Absolutely. And I, you know, I take my hats off to people that are at, at home because it's really hard work. <laughs> really hard it's work. It's really hard work. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's also really hard work doing the other side. Yeah. But for me, I wanted to be able to sit on the toilet um, in the middle of the day um, and do a wee, albeit like running around school. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to feel like me. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that my temperament, I really struggled, like really, really struggled to be honest with you. Um, so, but this, so we orchestrated everything in our life, I suppose, so that I continued working through, you know, for the last 10 years and, and carried on with my career. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly um, I was forced to, to stop everything. Um, and it was kind of, it was quite a weird eye opener in terms of stuff that I've missed out on. I don't, I don't regret it, but I do have a realisation that I think my priorities were very, very skewed. Um, and I would prioritise my job um, and I would prioritise my own career mm. over my kids. So what kind of things have you experienced in the last year that in the past you've missed out on, do you think? So... I'd never gone to a sports day. I'd never gone to a school play. I was never on the school gate um, just because I had no flexibility in my job to do so. Um, I, you know, I just didn't really know what was going on in my kids' lives. I mean, I know that sounds awful. I love my children and I would, I would be the mum, and I am, that I'm the mum over half term that overcompensates and then kind of like drags around. Yeah. <laughs> Loads of exciting things. Yes, we're going to do a year's worth of activities. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happens. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm, I have the holidays with them, so I would always overcompensate in the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have missed out on um, is now, you know, I picked them up from school not every day um or I drop them off and every morning we have the conversations about it's the basic conversations it's kind of what's happening in your play like what part are you doing have you got your socks where's your mouth guard um what time do you need picking up and I know they are very very like normal conversations that everybody has but I never had them right it's the tiny details isn't it it's the tiny details and Mm. I realize that my kids need me now more than ever um, for those tiny details yeah um and it's yeah it's quite it's been um it's probably been the biggest shift in my life that you know cancer's given me this shift mm. i would say there's a lot of positives in it um because i'm probably enjoying aspects of being a mum i mean don't get me wrong i screamed at them like for half the day today <laughs> they were doing my head in i think it'd be a bit weird if you weren't doing that deborah yeah i was like <laughs> I've turned into Superman. I am Superman. No, I cannot handle it without a gin and tonic and a glass of wine. So I'm certainly not Superman. But I do think that I've found um, a bit more of a balance. And, don't, you know, I need to still have my outlet um, in a selfish way, even when I have cancer and stage four cancer. Um, you know, I still need time out. But then that's what's so amazing about the blog and your column and your book is that you get to do stuff you know other stuff outside of of the home yeah absolutely and but I think for my kids it's really nice for them to see that as well yeah um because I think you know otherwise there's a risk that 
if I'm having a bad day, they could actually just see me when well, mummy's asleep again on the sofa. Mm. Um, so actually, if they, my daughter was at a photo shoot with me over the weekend, loving it. Like, so um, you know, I get them involved as much as I can because I think it's good for them just to see the the fun side of things as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, yeah, you, you did a photo shoot in your underwear recently. Has that has that come out yet? Is that? Yeah. So I have. I've, I work with a lovely photographer called Sophie uh, Mayan. And she does um, a whole project about behind the scars, um, which I think is just amazing. So, I I mean, there's a lot of body positivity and stuff Mm. at the moment. But what she does is get people who have scars from a variety of different things. Um, She photographs them and then she tells their stories. Um, And I've been working with her on the project um, for for a while. Mm. And funny enough, um, for me, actually working with her has been like documenting my cancer journey. Um, And it's been amazing because I've been um, getting out my scars. We did a photo shoot at the weekend and my daughter came along um, and again I was actually attached to the chemo pump and we were doing some really cool shots where um, my daughter was basically using the um, my chemo pump as a microphone. Amazing. Which is cool. So they'll, they'll be coming out soon. That will be so is, is that with Sophie as well? And that was with Sophie wow. as well. We were doing some filming um, for various um, kind of um, news channels um, regarding it, um, just because I think it's an amazing project to, mm. to support. And I do think it helps people because... Um, scarring for example or kind of mentally or physically is something that people underestimate as a result of cancer and it's not just cancer I mean I know it's lots of other illnesses and actually the way she photographs people makes it really beautiful and so I've seen photographs of people who have 90% burns across their entire body and they look absolutely beautiful um, so yeah, so I think it's an inspiring project to be part of. That's amazing and I've gone from, from a deputy head who's like nowhere am I taking my kit off to being like woohoo <laughs> <laughs> it's great though I mean you must get a lot of feedback from other whether it's just, whether it's mums or whether it's non you know non-mums who are going through cancer who are just feeling utterly inspired by what you're doing I get some really lovely amazing comments um, and people are so positive but the thing that I find amazing is how everybody has their own way of working through their their journey if you want to say that um some people want to be really vocal about it and some people just want to hide underneath a cover um and I think either way is fine um but it's nice to know that there's even in the dark depths of the trenches, mm. it's nice to know that there's someone there with you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it sounds awful, doesn't it? Like, if you're dying, if you've got someone with you, it's okay. <laughs> no, no, understandable. Um, okay, Deborah, I've got some quick fire questions for you. I might know my answers. That you, you'll be so surprised by these. <laughs> I think my answers are still going to be the same, though. Um, okay, so you, every now and again on Instagram, you do a chemo dance. Yes. Don't you? Um, which I love. Um, what is your ultimate tune to dance to? So I'm still going to say it. So Beyonce is my ultimate girl. I think she's brilliant. She's amazing. She is she? absolutely. And I was thinking, um, in terms of the tunage, I was looking. I was actually looking at her her crazy ladies one. Um, single ladies. Single ladies. And crazy. <laughs> crazy ladies. Okay, oh, I could do a new one. Crazy yeah. hero ladies. <laughs> or the single ladies. I, I really. I want to get that hip movement going. Is that the one where she does? She's this? doing the thing with her hands. Or, or is that the ring? Put the ring on it. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. 
Oh yeah, no. So that's, uh, those two different songs. It's two, but I'm way, so confused. Either way, I'm up for anything with Beyonce. We're gonna, we're gonna get um, irate Beyonce fans emailing in, complaining. Going, we're, no. We don't know our Beyonce. I don't know which dance it's, but basically anything where Beyonce is wearing like some really kick-ass little costume, like shaking her booty. Mm. Oh, I just want to copy it. Yeah, I'm never gonna look as cool as that. But I'm you gonna, will, of course you will. You do. You're an amazing dancer. <laughs> I've seen you. <laughs> that Bollywood dance you did with your daughter on Instagram was amazing. <laughs> My daughter loves a bit of jiggling around. <laughs> so good, so good. Um, what's been your most embarrassing parenting moment? Um, so I was thinking about this actually. Um, I yeah, I talked about this before. So I think it's um, probably my daughter on a plane vomiting throwing up all over me um but to the point that other people on the plane had to give me their clothes and I walked off the plane in a vest is that because she'd thrown up on you so much she'd thrown up on me so much that the um air stewardesses and stewards decided not to help me anymore um it was one of those really long flights where um it wasn't supposed to be long but it you know it was an easy jet flight um delayed delayed you know everyone was really annoyed um everybody had given up because I was the mum in the corner with sick all over me Ooh. and I walked out into Gatwick airport in my knickers um a cardigan that a lovely lady had lent me just so I didn't show my ass to the whole world um, did you give it back to her no she she was literally like please 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 just keep it um, we don't sick. want we don't want to see your your sick covered pants no, and sick all over my hair oh, but my to goodness. the point that I now you know still now with a 10 and 8 year old travel with like hundreds of changes of clothes for me oh. I just didn't learn my lesson I, I now have learned my lesson in a bad way amazing um so did she have like a really bad sick bug or something yeah I think she had norovirus on a plane oh. for six hours um it was just bad very bad it was very bad um who is your dream play date guest so I'm still gonna say this in terms of so um you realise that people listening didn't hear you sing the last time because, yeah. because the, that podcast isn't going out. So it's still, it's still, it's still, it's it's still. It is still the fact that I, I want it to be in Tamara Ecclestone's house. Yeah. Because she has like um, a bowling alley, a, um, a softball play area, mm. and I think it would be really cool. Yeah. But I'm definitely going to have, um, I would like Eloise to marry... Um, one of the royals, maybe. I so think tomorrow's not invited. Tomorrow's not. Well, she can. She can come. <laughs> she can she come and hang to. out. She can come and hang out if she wants to. But um, and her kids. I don't need her kids. But I think we're going to have Meghan Markle there, definitely. Yes. Um, and we're going to have Prince George. So basically, Meghan Markle is going to rock up with her nephew to be at tomorrow. I can at tomorrow. Say. This is quite a convoluted play date. Are we? Are we going to pull this one off, Deborah? I think so. I think it's going to be brilliant. And the whole point is that maybe then Ellie is going to like charm prince george there's quite an age gap there it's all right she can go for younger what is there about six six years five six year age that's nothing oh hang on he's what is he about four he's four now isn't he yeah so we've only got a four year age gap you know harry's going a bit older yeah it's it's all the trend now yeah 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 bit of a tall boy we'll get in there early right you know, so you're going to marry into the royal family, marry, but only to like you know continue the Meghan Markle sparkle, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of like jazzing the whole thing up. I love because so if much. Ellie, if Ellie comes into the royal family, I mean, you know, screwed. Woo. <laughs> um, I, no, I really love that you have really put a lot of thought into this. To the point where you've gone from just organising a play date to marrying into the royal family. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't do things in my half. You've got to have plans. <laughs> got to have plans. Grand plans. <laughs> Deborah, 
thank you for being my guest today <laughs> and thank you for being my guest last week <laughs> and thank you for nearly being my guest the week before um it has been utterly marvelous to talk to you thank you very much no, thank you for having me again and again <laughs> Isn't Deborah amazing? I will put links to her Instagram and her blog over on the show notes so you can go and check her out. But thank you as always for listening and please do go over to iTunes and subscribe and rate and review uh, because it really massively helps um, other people discover the podcast. So thank you and I'll catch up with you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.